today we're going to talk about daily wonder and we're going to talk about daily rest. We're starting a brand new series. I'll do four parts today called The Habits of a Righteous Life. I want to talk to you about your righteousness. And then from that place of discussing your righteousness, I want to talk to you about responding and beginning to develop daily practices of worship that help remind you who you are in Christ Jesus. I am believing that 2022, in the midst of all that we have all gone through, last night, we had an interaction with someone in customer service and they were just, you could tell, they're just, they, they've stopped caring anymore. And as I was talking to this person trying to get a product and you could tell they were annoyed because I was trying to give them my money to buy their product, which is ironic. But anyways, we're not gonna get into that. It's like, I thought you'd be happy that I called you to buy your product and give you my money, but I think I'm annoying you. But it's just the times and seasons we live in. We're all exhausted, we're all fatigued, we all feel a little bit isolated, we all feel a little bit divided. The technological age has galvanized our opinions and our worldviews and a little bit of echo chambers and all that kind of stuff. So guess what, here we are. But I got a sense in 2022, God's gonna do something new in your spiritual journey. I'm believing that the path of the just grows brighter and brighter to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm believing that you're gonna fall more deeply in love with Jesus. If you're married, you're gonna fall more deeply in love with your spouse. If you have kids, oh God help us, you're gonna fall more in love with your kids. If you have grandkids, you don't need to fall any more in love with your grandkids. I can tell, you already love your grandkids. Isn't that funny? No, no grandparents ever been said, God, just help me love my grandkids. But every parent has prayed, oh God, let me love my children and not eat them. Help me, Lord. My dad used to say that joke, like we're the, we're the only mammals or something that like don't eat their young or I don't know what the joke was, I forget. But anyways, let's not eat our kids, okay? Let's bless our kids, but also give them to the Lord and trust God. Okay, are you ready? You excited? <laughs> okay, okay. Some of you are like, what in the world are we talking about? Anyways, I'm just preaching. Don't worry about it. It's gonna be great and reasonably painless. We're gonna start this morning in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. All right. The kingdom of God, listen to this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go any further, I wanna establish what this space is that we just stepped into. For everyone in this room or anyone watching right now via technology, what you've just stepped into is a very, very unique space because this space is dedicated not to disseminating rules, or even mere concepts, or principles, or keys, or success steps. Again, that's not why we're here. Now, some of you are like, Judah, you say that so much here at Church Home. Well, we've got to remember, recall, and rehearse that today, what we're not looking for is just more concepts to try to assimilate to improve our experience, or God forbid, attempt to improve ourselves. 2022 is right around the corner. 
One of the buzzwords that will be used is this word habits. Everybody's gonna be reconsidering their habits. It's the way our culture is. Now, if you're kind of new to the Western world, the way we treat our calendar is typically when January 1 rolls around, we're all starting to go, I'm gonna let go of this bad habit, I'm gonna start this new habit, and everyone starts thinking about, I'm gonna be a changed person. Now, what we've got to acknowledge is that our culture, in an effort to improve ourselves, espouses these ideas that you are what you do. You are the captain of your own ship. You're the master of your own destiny. And the decisions you make ultimately make up your entire human experience. You are in control. It's all dictated and determined by your decisions. Last night, as I preached to our football team, the Seattle Seahawks, I reminded them that when it comes to your relationship with God or your spiritual journey, it works nothing like a football team. It works nothing like you, te- you get out once you put in. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is not a high school football coach. God has no plans to teach, you, to, to teach you, train you, or lead you like an athletic director. He's not a PE teacher. He's not a science teacher. He's the God of the whole earth. And his story is unique because we are not here and God has not sent me in my study and research of scripture, it is very evident to me that my assignment is not to tell you to make yourself better for God. That's not our message. By the way, that's not good news, that's normal news and that's average news, but the gospel by definition is good news. What makes the gospel so good? What makes the gospel so good is that Jesus did for you and for me what we could not do for ourselves. What makes the gospel so good is that the camera actually focuses in and zooms in on Jesus, on Jesus' performance, on Jesus' perfection, on Jesus' compassions, on Jesus' empathy, on Jesus' righteousness, on Jesus' beauty, and Jesus' wonder, and that's where the camera goes, and that ought to be good news. I talked late last night to a friend who's up under incredible investigation in these unprecedented days where the technological age has now opened up investigations on seemingly everyone with some level of influence. Every single time I open the news app, I hear of another public figure who's being publicly disgraced, sat down and removed from their role for some deep thing that's happened years ago. And I'm not saying that's neither right nor wrong. It's just the time in which we live. The camera seems to be zooming in. We seem to be dissecting people's lives. We're now holding people accountable for what they did in the 80s and the 60s and the 70s. And I'm not saying that's inherently wrong. I'm just saying God is different. And I am so glad he doesn't count our sins against us. Like the Bible says he has separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the West. I'm here to tell you that church home exists to remind you about Jesus' performance. In fact, I am convinced and persuaded that the only power to change your performance is by focusing on Jesus' performance. And when you realize his finished work and his beauty and his majesty, it leads you to a life of response, not resolve. We are not here preparing for a new year. I'm not here to pump you up so that we can you know, enlarge and engorge your willpower so that somehow you can make a righteous resolve so that you can improve yourselves. 
That's not our message. Our message is of a superhero who has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes, people have criticized uh, within our community or at least questioned the contents and the gospel and the messages that we preach here at Church Home. And one of the criticisms is that Church Home is very good at preaching salvation. And that's fine, and I certainly hope we are. And oh, by the way, I only wanna be a part of a church who's good at preaching salvation, because I still have friends who need salvation. So uh, if if you don't mind, um, I take that as a high, high compliment, because I still got friends who need Jesus. And let me tell you, I invite my friends to this church like I hope you invite your friends to this church, and I invite my friends to watch the app in my house, and I want to make sure that when that message comes on, they're going to hear how Jesus can save them. But I want to remind you the way you get into the kingdom of God is also how you're sustained in the kingdom of God. The same Jesus that saves you is the same Jesus that sustains you. He sustains you on a daily basis. So anytime we approach the subject of habits, these habitual actions that we take on a daily basis that oftentimes make up the totality of our lives, I want us to not think in terms of what habits am I going to generate? What habits am I going to motivate? What habits am I going to deliberate and determine to do? What, what, I want you to think in terms of how wonderful Jesus is, and then we're going to respond in sacred habits of worship. And that's what I want to instill in these collections of sermons, that there should be some sacred habits of worship that we do. But oftentimes, our sacred habits of worship turn into devotional have-tos that we ought to do so that God's not mad at us. And nothing could be further from the gospel truth. Nothing could be further from the gospel truth. In Romans chapter 14, what we have is is the, the writer to the church in Rome is writing, saying, listen, this isn't about rules. This isn't about rules. You're making it about rules. You're making it about willpower. You're making it about moral excellence. You're making it about who eats what. Now again, some of these uh, cultural debates are not as relevant today in 2021. We don't sit around, probably there's probably been a long, long time since you've shamed someone for eating pig. I had some last night. I hadn't had bacon in a long time, but I got a burger with no bun and I didn't know they were gonna put bacon on it. I didn't even order it, so I felt it was God. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there's four strips of bacon melted in beautiful Swiss cheese. Is that not God's plan? I didn't even order it, Kev. I never asked for bacon, and God's like, let me bless you four times over. Right, so I ate the bacon, all right? But when's the last time someone said, according to their faith, oh, I can't believe you eat bacon. It's not as relevant. But in these days, of course, predominantly a lot of Jewish customs and tradition based on the some 630 laws in the Hebrew Bible, one of which, of course, is this idea that you are kosher and you you don't eat pig, which is 
still a pretty good concept when you think about it because pigs don't sweat. But y'all remember the season I never ate bacon and then I got weak and then I tasted it and I was like, this is the nectar of heaven. This is beautiful. But it sounds so silly to you and me that someone would condemn you or reject you or actually say you're not a part of the church because you eat pig, but that was exactly what was happening. And so the writer is writing in context, Romans chapter 14 is really about rules and these arbitrary law rules that are no longer relevant because Jesus has fulfilled the law. And so the writer of Romans culminates it here in Romans 14, 17 and says, let me tell you what what distinguishes the domain of God. When you see king, it's the domain of the king. So you know where Jesus is in authority and you know where Jesus is ruling and you know where Jesus is in charge when these dynamics are active and evident. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter, and literally a better transliteration in the Passion Translation, the Message Bible, they do even a better service than the ESV because they say it's not a matter of rules concerning eating or drinking. It's not a matter of rules. Uh, For instance, if you have a passion to not drink alcohol, and that is your standard, there is biblical precedence here to say that's wonderful, but if somebody else does drink and you don't drink, you both can't make each other feel bad. You're not allowed to. It's not a matter of eating or drinking. So I know some of you, alcohol was a big problem in your life, and so you don't, you know, when you met Jesus, a big distinguisher was you stopped drinking alcohol. Well, Romans 14 simply says that's wonderful, but you can't enforce that on other people who do drink. Oh, and by the way, come on, drinkers. You know you're pushers, okay? If you're a drinker and your friend's like, I don't drink, Okay, and I haven't had a drink for a couple of years, so I don't drink now, which is, can be very awkward. Okay, Frank Sinatra said, don't trust anyone who doesn't drink, but that's not in the Bible. You drinkers can't say, oh gosh, have a drink, relax, you religious. No, it, no it, they have a personal relationship with Jesus. So this isn't about who drinks, who smokes. Okay, this, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not. And I know we still wanna talk about marijuana and we wanna talk about alcohol and we wanna make this the distinguishing, or cussing, there's another one, like, oh, cussing, that's how you know someone is saying, so, you know, we never meet our neighbors, we're rude to people, we're not healthy to our body, we don't get good sleep, but we'll never cuss. You know what I say? Maybe say a few cuss words, love your neighbor, get some good sleep and eat better. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean there's, there's always a consideration from the other end here, okay? You're like, oh my word, I'm a part of a church where the pastor promotes cussing. I didn't say that. That is a, not a direct quote, okay? But the point is, we have made it something it's not. It's not about rules of eating or drinking or what you do and you don't do. It is about the realm of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for putting, check out Romans 14, 17 in the Passion Translation. Oh, perfect, you can see it. It's not a matter of rules about food and drink. It's about the realm of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you, say the, when you see the Holy Spirit, let me say it like this. It's imperative for you to understand. When you see the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit that is holy. He's the Spirit form of God. He's the Spirit form of Jesus. And I'll describe it like this, and this is a, a basic description, but I think it'll translate. When you feel goose pimples, when you feel a chill, when you feel like suddenly God is upon you or around you or within you, and I suggest it could happen over technology, it could happen right now in this room while I'm talking, all of a sudden you get this grand sense that God is with you, God is upon you, God is around you. That's called the presence of God. 
God, the presence of God. It's the reality of Jesus. And guess who that is making you feel that way? The Holy Spirit. That's what he does. So the kingdom of God is about the presence of God. The kingdom of God has a big part. It's, it's in the manifest presence of God. So you should be experiencing the presence of God. Now I wanna remind you, the presence of God is not uh, perpetrated, I should say, it is not uh, uh, based on you, the presence of God. So if you're like, I haven't felt the presence of God, I need to do something more for the presence of God. And so we think we need to beg God to show up. No, that's not how it works. The presence of God is predicated, there it is, is predicated on the person of God. And he will show up, he is faithful. But we need to be presence people. We need to be people who expect the presence of God, who, who expect to sense him and feel him on a daily basis. Brother Lawrence called it practicing the presence of God, which is to say looking for God in the kitchen, looking for God on your commute, looking for God wherever you are, looking for God. One of my favorite places to experience the presence of God is a shower. It just is. I'm sorry. Sometimes a good shower and you feel Jesus and it's like, that was awesome, I needed that. And typically, it's with very loud singing for me. Don't you judge me, it's my shower, okay? But we need to be practicing the presence of God. In the presence of God, we are filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is positional as well. When you see the word righteousness, this is not practical righteousness. The, the overwhelming evidence in the word study here is not you being right with people because the Hebrew word picture for righteousness is actually this idea of, of kindness in relationship. It speaks of a healthy relationship. It speaks of a right relationship. But this righteousness speaks primarily, if not completely, about the kindness you have in your relationship with God, the rightness you have with God, the, the level plane you have with God. Now, who got you that righteousness? Jesus went and got you that righteousness. Jesus went and got you kindness with God. Jesus went and got you acceptance with God. Jesus made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And grace, the Bible says, reigns through righteousness. You wanna walk in grace, you wanna live by grace, you wanna be a grace person, you've got to be aware of the gift of righteousness that you have received through Jesus. Now, if this gets old, if this gets old to you, and this gets, like Judy, you just keep saying, you keep talking about our righteousness. I do keep talking because my assignment is to uh, say the same thing every week. I don't know if you figured that out. That's what preachers do. By the way, any preachers who are giving you something you never heard run screaming from the building, okay? This is the same message every single week. Some of you are like, I should have been a pastor. What a great gig. It's the same content every week. What has Jesus done? But if you're like me, I need to hear myself say it. I'm, I'm getting as much out of this as you are, if not more. And a lot of my sermons, because there's not a lot of notes, I'm kind of up here just following the guide of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I'm like, wow, that was good. That was, I've got to be honest, that was good. That one ministered to me, okay? So righteousness is not what you do, it's what Jesus has done. And it makes you right with God. And I'm gonna remind you, the Holy Spirit's assignment, Jesus said the Spirit will come and he will tell you all things concerning me. 
You know the presence of God is active in your life when you're thinking more about Jesus than yourself. More about Jesus' performance than your performance because your performance can never make you right with God. Only Jesus' performance can make you right with God. Feels good to be wearing a Jack Ramsey jacket, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Some have said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. That means it's two-thirds of emotional disposition. That righteousness, that position you have in Jesus evidently produces peace and joy. Now, I looked up peace and joy in the Hebrew, and the word picture for peace in the Hebrew, basically the ancient thought was peace is put together. Imagine peace, all the pieces coming together. It's almost like when that final piece of the puzzle gets put in. Chelsea loves puzzles. I don't get it at all, okay? Life is a puzzle, and I'm constantly trying to put it together, all right? I'm like, why do I need another puzzle when this is a puzzle, you know? But she's, she loves it, and it's always like a big thing when, and she'll let, you know, our daughter or whoever, like, who wants to put in the final piece? Or I'll be like, me, you know, because I love being a hero. So, you know, like, put in the final piece, and everyone's, ah, it's all put together. You know, that's the word picture for peace. But you know what's interesting about this word? is it has, this put together has nothing to do with your circumstance. Do you know you can be put together and in bankruptcy? Do you know you can be put together and going through a divorce? Do you know you can be put together and be experiencing a loss of a loved one? Do you know you can be put together and fighting cancer? Do you know you can be put together and fighting sleeplessness and depression? Do you know you can be put together and be fighting off suicide? You can be put together. Because you know where you're put together? You are, you have, you, you have everything concerning life and godliness, the Bible says. You lack no good thing. You're put together. You're put together. On the inside, you're put together. Jesus says, and I'll say it in a moment in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, I'll give you rest for your soul. Your soul's put together. Your eternal being is put together. You can't be more righteous with God than you are right now. You are put together. The Bible says that's peace, a peace that's transcendent, a peace that has nothing to do with whether or not your boss keeps you on or not. I was watching a, a, a show last night or, or the day before, and it was in London. They're like, did you get sacked? And I was like, what a terrible way to say fired. You know, like, did you get sacked? Um, so whether or not you get sacked does not determine your peace. See, this is what makes us peculiar people on the planet. What makes us peculiar people on the planet is not that we don't drink, don't smoke, and don't cuss. I know a lot of people that don't know Jesus that do that. I had straight edge friends in high school, which I was like, what's straight edge? And they started describing it. I was like, oh, that sounds like Christianity. Straight edge is we don't drink, we don't do, you know, it's all this like willpower, resolve conversation but Christianity is about people who are willing to say, my middle name is Nightmare on Elm Street, and Jesus saved me anyways. This is amazing. So we are here celebrating scandalous love, undeserved, unmerited, unearned acceptance and forgiveness and covering, by definition, righteousness produces a sense that you're put together Peace and joy. The Message Bible, Eugene Peter says, and he completes it with joy.
I looked at this word joy, and there's a lot of definitions I can give you, but from best I can tell, this joy is basically, it's, it's so profound. It's like a combination of happy and grateful. That's how I would describe this spiritual disposition. It's that you're happy because you're grateful, and you're grateful which makes you happy because your life's put together and you're right with God. I didn't say your, your money's put together. I didn't say everyone loves you, everyone likes you. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a fallen, broken world. And some of you are like, you don't need to tell me that, Judah. Okay, great, that's why I don't focus on that when I preach, because I, I bet what we already know is we're kind of nightmares, and we're not really great all the time relationally, and we're not that wonderful all the time at work, and sometimes we yell at our kids, and, and, and then there's secret things we do we don't want anyone to know. And so by definition, I don't think you need to come to this auditorium or come to this app or come to this technological experience for me to remind you that you're bad but I got good news. God is so good that he exchanged his goodness with our badness and it makes us righteous and he puts us together eternally. We are guaranteed to live forever with him, which produces a sense of gratitude, which produces a true happiness. And what makes us peculiar people on the planet is that we're happy when nobody else is. We're grateful when everyone's grumbling. We're confident and at peace when everyone's wringing their hands and anxious. I've said this to you before, but one of my great critiques of Christianity right now is that we are just as anxious as everybody else. That tells me we need to, do, we need to wade into the waters of righteousness. We need to be immersed and baptized again into the finished work of Jesus. 